Thank you, choir. I've been singing that song or hearing it sung for decades. But some time ago, the thought occurred to me, what does it mean to cling to the old rugged cross? How do you do that? Well, how did Jesus do it? One simple word, humility. The only way you take on his cross is to be humble before him. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth in a hymn says, We got to be humble before the Lord. That we've got to think humility and act humility. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Humility is the muscle in the arm to serve the Lord and to let God use you and I to change things for the better. As you turn there to Philippians, allow me, if you will, to give you the background of this passage of Scripture. Philippi was located about 800 miles from the city of Rome, the time Paul wrote this. It had become the showplace of Greek culture at its time, so there was a bit of pride there for all the cultural trappings that they had. The church at Philippi was started by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. And that church, perhaps more than any other, the group of Christians there were Paul's pride and joy. They had been very supportive of him when Paul had been in crisis situations. And one of the reasons that he writes this letter to them is to thank them for an offering that they had taken up to support him. Now, we believe that Paul was at Rome when he wrote to the church at Philippi, and he was in what we call the Roman imprisonment. And it was sort of a house arrest type of situation. And so he was very much in church touch with the Christians that were in Rome, and one of the issues that the church in Rome was struggling with was unity, and he had gotten word that the church at Philippi was struggling with the same thing. And so what he's writing to them and basically saying is, listen, if you all will examine and interpret and apply the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll take care of the unity issue. Just follow Jesus and act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and think like Jesus and that'll take care of any issues you've got with unity. Philippians chapter 2, now I said this was a hymn. It was not a hymn necessarily as we think of hymns that are in a hymn book that you sang. Rather, it was something that they would have said together, perhaps even chanted together. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus... Notice the plural pronouns that he's using here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin on the back side. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. Several basic commands he gives here about humility and thinking humility and acting out humility. The first is, he's telling us in verse 5, choose humility. Humility doesn't necessarily and easily come to any of us. So we have to make a conscious, deliberate decision that we're going to choose to live with a mindset of humility. Verse 5, he says, have this mind. In other words, it's a command here, do this. Have this mind. Literal translation is there, think this in you which Christ thought in him. Paul says, think this in you the same as Christ thought it in him. Paul is saying, listen, Jesus thought humility. When he looked at other human beings, he did not ask himself the question, how can they serve me? He asked the question, how can I serve them? When he got up in the morning, he said, this day is about serving and helping others. It's not about me going through this day asking how everybody's going to serve and help me. When Jesus asked the purpose of his life, he said, the purpose of my life is to honor and glorify the Father God, not to serve me. So he says, what I want you to do is have this mind of thinking in you, think the same way that Jesus thought. Now notice where he says in verse 5 that we are to do that. He says, have this mind where? Among yourselves. Have it among yourselves. The place where I want you to live this out is among other believers, inside the context of the body of Christ. Do it among yourselves. When you come together, he's saying, and you come for worship, you come to serve, you come to do anything together, when you walk into that context... Start thinking as soon as you walk in there, how can I else serve? How can I help? How can I minister to somebody else? How can I put somebody else ahead of me and in front of me? Have that mind in you. Basically, he's saying that's how Jesus walked in a room. That's how Jesus saw a group of people. So he says when you walk in there and you gather together with the brothers and sisters in Jesus, have that mind. Be humble. And the only way we're going to be humble when we gather among each other, is to ask ourselves that question, how can I serve? How can I reach out? How can I bless somebody else? How can God use me in somebody else's life? Now, verse 5, continuing, he says, have this mind in you which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying it already belongs to you. It's yours in Christ Jesus. But how is it ours in Christ Jesus? How do I have a mindset of humility? How do I take the mindset of a servant right off the bat? How do I do that? By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us. It is the work of the Spirit in us if we will allow the Holy Spirit to have control of our lives to produce within us that humility. He does it with the power of the resurrection of Jesus in us. When the Holy Spirit of God fills us and controls us, the Spirit of God in us is going to produce humility in our lives. That is, it's the natural working of the Spirit. And if I want to know if I'm living and working in the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, one of the real evidences of that is humility. Pride is the evidence that the Spirit of God is not at work in my life. Now, I know that I'm walking in humility when I'm serving the Lord and serving others and not even really thinking about it in the sense that I'm not trying to draw attention to myself or think great about it. I, we used to joke when I was 
uh, college student, I wrote a book on humility and how I achieved it. And that's that pride idea. I wrote a book on humility and how I achieved it. And when I am proud of my humility, I don't really have humility at that point. When I'm talking about what I've done and how well I've done it and trying to draw attention to myself for what I've done and how well I've done it, then I got the pride thing going on. So we have to be careful about that we don't brag on our humility. When I'm walking in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is going to produce that humility in me, that servant's heart in me, and I'm going to do that, and I don't really care whether I get any attention or not. In fact, I don't enjoy receiving attention for what I'm doing. Whenever I want the attention, that is proof that I'm not living and walking in humility. Now, this is where we have to be really careful. When the Spirit of God fills us, and controls us, and the humility of Jesus is in our lives, we're going to have the mindset and the attitude of Jesus. Where we have to be careful is that knowledge about God that stands alone without humility, without servanthood, is just knowledge. And sometimes if we're not careful, if we begin to understand discipleship as just getting more knowledge about Jesus without being accompanied by more of the attitude of Jesus, what we will end up with is not discipleship. We will end up with just a lot of pride. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge that stands alone creates pride. I'm so glad I know so much. I'm so glad I know so much more. Let me share with you all that I know. Let's get together and get more knowledge. But that knowledge in and of itself, standing by itself, leads to pride. Spirit of God involved in our lives takes the knowledge and asks, how can I use this to serve someone else? How can I use this to bring glory to Jesus? How can I use this to serve the Lord? How can I be humble with the knowledge that God is giving me? So knowledge has to be married to servanthood, and if it is not, it just becomes an exhibition of pride if we're not careful. And that's where he takes us in verse 6. First of all, he says, choose humility. Secondly, in verse 6, basically he's saying don't power trip. He's speaking of Jesus. He says, though he was in the form of God. Now, the word form there, he's going to talk about the form of God. He's going to be talk also later about the form of a servant. It's a fascinating word there. It means form is something that perfectly expresses the inner reality. In other words, Jesus perfectly expressed on the outside what was on the inside. Because he was God on the inside, he perfectly expressed and lived out his divinity on the outside. He says, though he was in the form of God, 100% God, perfectly expressing that, with all the characteristics and qualities of what it means to be God, notice what it says, he didn't consider it something to be grasped. Though he was 100% God, he didn't reach into his divinity and pull it out and use his divinity, 
to try to gain rank and privilege and position over other people. In those days, if you saw the Roman emperor, this is what you would have seen. First of all, he would have been wearing a purple robe because a purple robe spoke of royalty and authority and power. Secondly, had you had the grand opportunity to go see the Roman emperor in his palace, he would have been sitting on an ivory throne. He would have been wearing a long train to speak again of his authority and power. He would have a scepter in one hand, and he would have been wearing a gold crown. He would have a mantle, and he would have been surrounded by attendants meeting his every need. Those were all of the insignia and the trappings of the royalty of the Roman emperor. That Jesus came as the king of kings. He could have grasped all of that, but he didn't. I want you to think about the contrast of what he could have grasped and the reality of what he grasped. Instead of wearing a crown of gold, he wore a crown of of thorns. Instead of having angels attend him as they had in heaven, he was attended on the cross by two thieves and Roman soldiers. Instead of sitting on an ivory throne as the Roman emperor did, his throne was the cross. Instead of wearing or holding a scepter, he had a spear in his side. And instead of wearing a purple robe that spoke of his majesty, he wore a robe that was stained and saturated, red by his own blood. That's what it meant for him not to grasp the evidences of his own kingship. Verse 7, be a servant. It says that Jesus emptied himself. The literal idea is he poured himself out. How could Jesus pour himself out, not just on the cross, but how did Jesus pour himself out over and over and over again? Because Jesus was constantly putting himself in a position to be filled up by God. Please follow me on this. If you and I are going to pour ourselves out, we first have to have him fill us up. And when He fills us up, then we can pour ourselves out. Remember all those stories in the Gospels where it talks about how Jesus went out a great way early in the morning before it was daylight and He was alone with the Father God? What was going on when Jesus was alone with the Father God? He would get up early in the morning before daybreak and go and be alone with the Father before the disciples got up, etc. What was going on? God was pouring into him. God was pouring into him because Jesus knew as soon as he left that place of prayer, he was going to have to start pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. So first he got it poured into him so he could turn around and pour it out. And folks, if we will discipline ourselves to spend time alone with God first, God will pour into us so that then we can turn around and pour into other people. He emptied himself. And how did he do that? 
He did not do that with the signs of his deity. In other words, if you read back to the Old Testament, when God showed up, what did he do? There was brightness, there was trumpets, there was smoke, there was fire, there were clouds. I mean, it sort of blew people away. When Jesus showed up in people's lives, he didn't do that. I mean, he would have blown people away if he'd have walked through the streets of Nazareth and Bethlehem, you know, with trumpets going off and clouds are all around him and all that kind of stuff. Jesus did what Jesus did quietly, at times almost obscurely, because that's how servants do their thing, quietly and pretty much obscurely. And Jesus quietly moved up to the lives of people and he would touch them and bring healing. He would listen to them. He would reach into their lives where they were at. But the height of his servantship was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, not my will, but yours be done. I want you to get the scene of that. Jesus knew the crucifixion was just hours away. And there was still a battle going on in his mind. Do I really want to go through with this? Do I really want to choose to go through with this? Not only the physical agony, but also the separation from the Father God and taking all of the sin of the world on me. Am I going to do this? And so he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdraws from the disciples. He gets down on his knees and he begins to pray and he begins to struggle. You see, I would think the real struggle of the crucifixion did not happen on Good Friday on the cross. I believe it happened in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was alone with the Father. And it says that he began to struggle so much that his sweat became is that of blood. You see, and on the cross, when they put the nails in him, they were withdrawing the blood from his body then, and that was man pulling the blood out of him. But in Gethsemane, it was him choosing to bleed from the inside out. And as he began to struggle in that, he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And at that point, he knew that he had nailed it down inside of himself that he was going to the cross. The next day on the cross, it was a battle of his body and the agony he was going through, and it was a battle of his soul and knowing he had been separated from the Father. But in Gethsemane, it was a battle of his mind. Now, please follow me. Folks, if you and I follow Jesus... Sooner or later, God is going to take us through the different stages of His life in our own life experience. And if you and I are serious about following Jesus and going the distance with Jesus, we are going to pass through seasons that are what I call Gethsemane seasons. When God is going to work in our lives and He's going to lead us and He is going to call us to a place and a way of serving Him and we are not going to want to go there. We are not going to want to do it. We are going to withdraw from it and say, God, I don't want to go to that place. I don't want to do that. That is so painful, etc. And He is going to say, but if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to do this. And we're going to struggle and we're going to agonize and we're going to say, Lord... I don't know about this. And we have to come to the place of saying, not my will, God, 
but yours be done. See, too often I think in American Christianity, what we want to do is we want to skip Gethsemane. We really want to give just lip service to Good Friday, and then we want to jump into Easter. The problem is you can't really get to Easter until you surrender in Gethsemane and go through the agony of the cross and take up the cross, and then you can, we can know the power of Easter. That's where the servanthood was locked in. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And then that leads in verse 8. To obedience. And being found in human form, just like you and me, taking on a human body, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, in Western culture, we glorify money, fame, power, and being a celebrity. If you got money, if you got fame, and if you got power, if you take on celebrity status, you're something else. Think about the names of some of the TV shows. Talk about the, the rich wives, I think it is, of Beverly Hills. Now, I can guarantee you, you're never going to hear a show about the rich wives of Podunk Holler. And when they talk about, you know, different places and they look at it, years ago there was a show called the, the Lives of the Rich and Famous. There's never been a show about the poor and the down and out. I mean, we, that's what we're just mesmerized with is how rich people are, how powerful people are, how what celebrities they are, etc. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing in church life. We're always looking for a celebrity and God's not interested in making us into celebrities or producing celebrities or having us follow celebrities. It says that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. He learned obedience through what? He suffered. Now, if Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, how are you and I going to learn obedience? I, I can't avoid learning obedience by not doing it Jesus' way. And so if I'm learning obedience, I'm only going to learn it through the process of suffering. And when he takes us through suffering, it's for the purpose of us learning the obedience. Notice where he learned it. He said it was on death on a cross. Jesus started out at the throne of God, and then he came all the way down the rungs and ended up on the bottom rung, which was the cross. And it was at the cross that he had the full expression of humility. And when God produces humility in us, there's usually going to be some type of crucifixion experience he's going to take us through to produce the humility in us. I'd like to say it came easy. I'd like to say it comes in nice, convenient situations, but it doesn't. It comes in tough situations in life that He produces the humility in us. But folks, when He does that, we are becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, God can pour His Spirit into us, through us, and use us in greater ways to serve Him. I want you to 
think with me about that night that he washed the disciples' feet, the story I told the kids earlier. The disciples, one by one, all 12 of them, file into the upper room. Now, no doubt, there was a basin and a towel as they filed into the room. And they would have seen the basin and the towel sitting there. And they were deliberate and careful to file into the room and ignore the basin and the towel. And as each disciple went in there, you can't help but wonder, the thought didn't go through their mind, the guy behind me or the guy in front of me ought to pick this up and use it, but I'm not picking it up and using it because I'm too good to wash the stinky, dirty feet of the guy in front of me and the guy behind me. They get seated. The meal begins. They begin to go through the process of the meal. The meal draws to a conclusion. Jesus gets real quiet. He gets up. He goes over and he takes off his outer garments. And they're wondering, what is he doing? Then he puts on the garment of a servant. My guess is if you and I could have put blood pressure cups on them, you would have seen the blood pressure begin to rise. Because all of a sudden they begin to think, I know where this may be heading. I know what I chose not to do when I walked in here. I know what I was thinking when I walked in here. I know what I've been thinking the whole time I've been sitting in here, how I'm better than everybody else in the room. And I'm hoping Jesus is soon enough going to point that out to everybody. And now he's starting to act like a servant. And then they watch Jesus go over and he picks up the basin. He puts the water in it. He gets the towel. And then without saying a word, he begins to go to the first disciple and wash his feet. Now I want you to think about the room. Twelve men, twelve sets of feet. The feet are dry, they are cracked, and they smell bad. You know, we've always said you've seen these beautiful pictures, you know, of the upper room and the disciples there, etc. Did you ever think about the fact it probably smelled like a locker room? I mean, you got twelve guys in there with their feet exposed and they haven't been washed. It didn't smell good in there. Pride always stinks, doesn't it? It has its own way of showing up and stinking. And so they're sitting there, and Jesus takes the first set of feet, and he washes it, dries it off. Then he goes to the next guy. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall and have watched the facial expressions of each disciple as they felt his hands touch their feet? felt the water begin to go over their feet and then begin to feel the towel washing their feet. They were getting a first-class lesson in humility. I bet you could have heard a pin drop in the room. You didn't hear the sound of the disciples talking. You heard the sound of water you heard the soft sound of a towel on feet. 
And then Jesus goes and he sits down and he looks around the room. And he says, guys, what I've just done, I want you to do. What you just saw me do, that's how I want you to live your life. Because I don't want you to spend three and a half years with me just getting knowledge about me. I want you to have my heart. And my heart is about humility. Let's pray. Lord, we just naturally go for the pride thing. That's our old sinful human nature, whether it's in our marriages, in our parenting, with other people. We just naturally default and go to the pride thing. And Lord Jesus, we need you to help us to be humble so that we choose humility. We choose to be a servant. Lord, would you show us the person or persons in our lives that we need to wash feet? It may be the person we're married to. It may be, Lord, a parent or a child. It may be someone at work, at school. But God, would you show us and help us to hear the words of Jesus. Go and follow my example. And God, some of the people that you're going to call us to have got stinky aspects to their lives. And it's tough, Lord, to do the washing thing. But God, I would imagine when Jesus got through washing feet that the room smelled a whole lot better. And Lord, when we get through being a servant, things will be a whole lot better. Lord, we bless you and we praise you in this. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, come to know Him as your Lord and your Savior and and serve Him, I want to invite you in just a moment to walk from where you are to where I will be and say, Pastor, today I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to serve Him. I want to walk with Him. If you're sensing the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family and and serve the Lord here with us, we invite you to come. If there's any other decision you need to make, then we encourage you to make that decision. If you just want to kneel around the front and pray, feel free to do that. Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we ask. In Jesus' name.